Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere with daily bonuses that should brighten your day a little actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus this podcast is sponsored by cloud optimizer as a business owner or it manager are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why it's time for cloud optimizer as you migrate your business to the cloud what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy but Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance Plus, save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. <laughs> Everybody. Welcome back to From Complex to Queens, Amazing Avenue's Minor League Podcast. I am Steve Seifer, and I'm joined by Lucas Vlahos, Ken Lavin, and Thomas Henderson. How are you guys doing today? All right. Can't complain. All right. So um, let's start off from what extent trade. A little lighthearted this week. Um, on today's date in 1983, the drill bore... For the Sekhan Tunnel, which is a the longest tunnel in uh, Asia, it connects Honshu and Hokkaido, two of the largest islands in Japan. So the, the drill bore broke through, and there was officially a connection there. And Hokkaido is home to my favorite NPB team, the Nippon Ham Fighters. And one of the many things that attracted me to them Aside for the fact that that was when Yu Darvish mania was going on and he was really coming to his own there. 
is the fact that one of their mascots, uh, his name is Fighty, because they are the fighters, and he is a bright pink pterodactyl, and his head resembles a leg of ham. What the fuck? <laughs> I didn't know his name was Fighty. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Japan is really big on mascots for whatever reason. It's, like, weird and creepy. Um, so visualize these guys with me. These are city mascots for some of Hokkaido's biggest cities. And we're going to promote, extend, or trade these guys. And a big, big thanks to Mondo Mascots, which is a website that documents all of Japan's mascots because there's a lot of them. And some of them are very um, interesting and very Japanesey is the best way, I guess, to describe <laughs> it. <laughs> so first we'll start with Sapporo City. And the official mascot of Sapporo City is Haunted Tokei Guy, who is a man with possessed clock tower for a head. What? What? We're starting mm-hmm. off very strong here. Yeah, okay. well... well this is the content I crave. Yes. Next up is the official mascot of the city of Asikawa, whose name is Asapi. And he is a seal polar bear mix who works as an Elvis Presley impersonator who has ramen tassels hanging from his sleeves. Uh, Say the city again, Steve. Asikawa. Asikawa. And last but not least is the mascot of Ibetsu City, and his name is Ebichun, and he is a crying chicken who cries because <laughs> his head is a brick. What? Okay. Is there um, why his head's a brick? I don't know why his head is a brick. I don't know. I looked into on Wikipedia, Ibetsu City. Maybe it's a big construction city. <laughs> Nothing about that. Maybe there's a lot of chickens, chicken farms, nothing about that. So I have no information regarding any kind of connections. Uh, I don't have any strong opinions on this, to be perfectly honest. I think I'm promoting the crying chicken. Yeah, that sounds good. I think I'm promoting it for sure. I kind of like the ramen guy, I think. And he's an Elvis, Pres- Elvis Presley impersonator. Yeah. Yeah, I'll promote him, I guess. And I'll extend the chicken and trade the clock tower. Let's go with that. Yeah, I mean, that that was a kind of... I'll, I'll trade one. them all for John Oliver's... The mascot that John Oliver made. Uh, uh, whose name I forget at the moment, but... I gotta say, the clock tower is pretty creative. It's literally eating a person. Yeah. Yeah, I wanna know, I wanna... (laughs) If this was any other country, I'd be asking how many drugs went into the creation of these mascots. But since it's Japan, I just don't think that's accurate, so... (laughs) It is a really, really weird phenomenon. And that website, uh, Mondo Mascots, it there's there's a lot of entries. Every single thing has a mascot for some reason or another. Cities have official mascots. Okay, makes sense. Companies Does it have. Though? I mean, t- to a certain degree, to a certain degree. 
Come up with a mascot for New York City right now. It's Pete Surratt is the correct answer, but like. Right now, imagine some at at actual you know official events at Gracie Mansion. Next to like the sign language lady is a dude dressed up in a full pizza rat costume. That is how far they take their mascots. Jeez. I don't see anything wrong there. <laughs> I didn't say it's wrong. I'm just trying to. <laughs> I only see positives. But yeah, it's it, it's very interesting, and of course, only in Japan. All right. Uh, Moving on, our countdown of the 2020 top prospects continue this week, and we're more than halfway done with that top 25 list. We're basically now getting into the cream of the crop. Um, So this week, we're going to be starting off with number nine, and that is Franklin Killame. He uh, was signed by the Phillies originally. Signed out of the Dominican Republic in 2013. He started his professional career a year later. He worked his way up through the Philly system, made it to Double A, and was traded to the Mets in 2018 uh, in exchange for Asdrubal Cabrera. And the Mets signed Kilmey to the Rumble Ponies. He spent half the season there, posted okay, um, okay numbers. He had a 4.03 ERA in 38 innings with 31 hits allowed, 10 walks, and 42 strikeouts. And then when the season ended, he was going to be pitching in the Dominican Winter League, but he never made it there because he underwent Tommy John surgery late that October, and that cost him the entire 2019 season. So he will be returning in 2020, and hopefully he is all healed up and you know everything is working properly because he was a pretty highly thought of prospect before he went down to injury um he has control problems let's get that out of the way first he was never really able to keep all of his moving parts in sync and basically that led to a pretty big achilles heel And, you know, Tommy John recovery going well or not, that could have been like what kept him from developing into a bona fide major league pitcher or just kind of a maddening quadruple A guy that, you know, looks good at certain times and then just can't find the zone at other times. But the stuff, again, before Tommy John was pretty good, uh, fastball. Sat in the low to mid-90s, topped out in 97, had a bit of uh, sink and some cutting movement to it. It was uh, complemented with a really good curveball. And then, you know, kind of average-ish change-up, you know, good enough to be used in professional games. Um, Not as good as the curveball, but just, you know, uh, something to give that is another look and keep them on their toes and you know a lot of well not a lot of all of Kilome's you know prospect ranking right now is based on that potential that he had before he went down um, with Tommy John 
And realistically, he was the best asset that the Mets received via trade since I don't even know how long. I mean, all of those relievers that they received in like, you know, 2016 and 17, you know, nobody's really panned out. Nobody certainly had the upside that Kilame has. Um, you know, the last we, significant trade before those was probably like Beltran. Who? It was probably trading Beltron for no, I guess Dickey, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. the last time they got anything good. They never got anything good mid season though. No. No. Was it Beltron mid season? He was, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Was. Okay, oh, so yeah. so twenty eleven. Yeah. Yeah, that's the last time they had a, a I was saying that's the last time they've made a good mid season trade. There you go. Uh, you gotta love which that is not rate. exactly great. You gotta love that hit rate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Once a decade. Well, are you telling me trading for a bunch of quad A relievers that contending teams don't want to use despite their quote unquote major league readiness isn't a good idea? Are you telling me you're not a Jacob Rehm fan? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Future closer, Jacob Rehm. Best closer (laughs) in the organization, Jacob (laughs) Rehm. Listen, Steven Nogasek gave up like three three earned runs the entire season last year. They all happened to be, like, in the very last game of Syracuse's season, <laughs> and it ruined it, but, you know. Ridiculous. But, yeah, uh, Kilmey definitely has the most upside of any guy the Mets have received in to almost a decade. So I think the interesting thing with Kilmey is, um, like, where do we go from here? You know, he's coming off of Tommy John. What do you think the best use of his talents are, is? I, I wouldn't waste any time. Put him in the bullpen. Yeah, put Same. him in the bullpen. Yep. I, I think know. there might actually be something there in the bullpen. At least like this year, because um, you're probably going to want to limit his innings. And, you know, he's starting. He's not necessarily like young anymore, you know? No. Yeah, how old is he? What? 26. I'm saying that completely out of my ass. I'm pretty sure he's 26. He's 24. Fuck. Okay, he's still pretty young, but also he he could be pitching in a big league pen. Right that's now. not. I he wouldn't should call be, that. Yeah, young. at that age. Yeah. Yeah. See that that's what I would have him start the season in. I don't know. I guess Binghamton. You know, see how he. I, I would wherever he starts though. I would have him as a starter, and if he is starting to approach his innings limit, whatever the whatever that limit is going to be, and He's showing that he's able to get hitters out. You know, I, I would test him out at the major league level in the bullpen, though. Uh, but I would, I would, t- I would rem- keep him as a starter for as long as you can because I think it would depend for me on, um, you know, what the team need is. Like, if the team could use him in the pen as an upgrade at some point, uh, he would be probably the first guy I would look to to get in the mix. Mm-hmm. I think. I, I I think with the way modern baseball works, his uh, I don't think there's any question he has more utility to the Mets this season as a reliever than as a starter. Um, and, and like the only way he's starting is if like three or four guys in front of him get injured, in which case I'd probably just want to bullpen games anyway. And. Uh, yeah, he could potentially be good in that role too, like as a, yeah. an opener. Yeah. Um, give you three innings to start a game, and then 
Like maybe yeah. you put him on the uh, Blake Taylor innings plan uh, to start the season because I think he could become that kind of multi-inning weapon. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I think with the way te- with the way bullpens work now, uh, some teams or, or baseball as a whole holds on to keeping guys as starters for too long, and I, I'd rather just punt and, and make him a, try to make him a multi-inning reliever. Well, it all depends, obviously, on his recovery. He could be uh, on the Marcos Molina plan, and there goes that. The Mets do not have a great track record with Tommy <laughs> John. Especially recently. <clears throat> yeah. Well, we'll move on to the next guy on our list, number eight, who happens to be that exact guy, a Tommy John recovery, Thomas Zabucky. Um, He had a pretty okay season last year. Obviously, um, he was a big-time prospect a couple of years ago. Could have been, in theory, a early draft pick in 2015. But, you know, the combination of his stuff, his um, demands from teams, and his commitment to the University of Florida, he dropped a bit. Mets picked him in the fifth round. They were able to sign him. Not that much over slot value, just $20,000 over slot value for a total of a $375,000 signing bonus. Um, so, yeah, he really burst on the scene in 2016. He was extremely dominant in the Appalachian League, and then he was extremely dominant in the New York Penn League with Brooklyn, with Kingsport and Brooklyn, respectively. Um, the season ended early that year. He had a lower back injury, and then shoulder problem uh, delayed the start of his 2017 year. But when he got back on the field, you know, it was looking like he was picking back where he left off back in uh, the year before with, with Columbia. And he was pretty good in Columbia for the time that he was able to pitch. He had a 279 ERA. Um, but then just out of nowhere, you know, the arm went dead and he had Tommy John. So he missed all of the rest of that season, 2017, and then he missed all 2018. And he returned on the field this year. And at first, it, it was looking a little dicey. Um, the fastball was not very fast. <laughs> but as the as the season went on and, you know, they kind of carefully managed his innings and his pitch count and everything like that. And by the end of the season, he was not looking like the Thomas Zipucky of old, but he was a not pale shadow of his former self, but he, he looked like Thomas Zipucky. Maybe not Thomas Zipucky, future superstar, but Thomas Zipucky, okay pitcher. Um, you know, the fastball, it lost a little bit of its bite. It used to be like 90 to 97. Now it was kind of more like 90 to 94, 95 or so. Um, but maybe next season, you know, he has some more kind of worked some more of the rust off and hopefully, you know, maybe next season the fastball will reach back to that, you know, touching 97 mile per hour zone. Um, the curveball and the changeup, his two secondary pitches, same thing. They didn't look as devastating as they were. Uh, the changeup never was that devastating, but it was an okay pitch. It was becoming an okay pitch, but the curveball definitely was. But as we learned from Thomas K's 
return from Tommy John surgery. You know, it, it takes some time for a guy to regain a feel for his changeup and regain a feel for his curveball. So neither one of them looked particularly bad. So that's a good sign. And, you know, all the major thing, I guess, with Zapaki is just his age and the injuries and everything have kind of limited the amount of major league innings that he's been able to pitch. And, you know, it's slightly problematic. Um, he's barely, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but he's barely thrown, I think, 140 innings in his entire career. It's 145. Okay, there we go. So it's, yeah, that's not optimum for a guy that, you know, had to have already been put on the 40 man to protect him from the Rule 5 roster, I mean, from the Rule 5 draft pick, and, you know, is on the cusp of potentially making the majors. But, you know, a lot of people talk about, you know, like we just have a kill May putting Sabucky in the bullpen, and it, it is a possibility. I know that we are all pretty strong proponents of that. Yeah, I mean, I'd make the same yeah. arguments I made about Kilome here. Don't waste I, any time. I, I think, think this one is he's a better, yeah, yeah, much more clear cut. Like, he's barely thrown a season's worth of innings, and he's a 2015 draftee. So, you know, like he he just he has like one game pitched at Double A at this point in his career. Like, yep. We just got to get it going. And it sucks for him that the injuries probably took starting away from him, but you can make a lot of money as a reliever. Yeah, and also, you know, maybe a little more of the fastball velocity comes back in yeah. short bursts. There's yeah, potential a, there, you know? I think a guy like Zapucky is probably more well-suited for the bullpen than Kilome, at least when it comes to, like, hiding your flaws. I mean, really, Zapucky, I wouldn't say that he has no flaws, <laughs> but, um, you know, it's nothing too major. Like, the command, the, the mechanics are not the greatest, but they're not terrible. Whereas Kilome, I think they're kind of really bad, and he's still going to have walk problems as a reliever. Whereas Zapucky, the walk was, you know, the, the walk issues were never really that prevalent it wasn't really that pronounced and it'll just help you know Zapucky stuff play up more whereas Kilme yes it will play up more but that issue about the command will also be more you know it'll be more of a spotlight on that too yeah uh, point, he's just got to pitch like he's yeah, gotta, yeah he's just got to get be able to get on the mound and throw balls because we don't know what we still don't really know what it is, and he has to be on the 40, and that's not really a good thing. Yeah, on, on some level, it, so it, uh, I think you have to consider what the Mets need as well, um, and I really think for all, they should be prioritizing the short term right now, and I think if you just shove these guys in the bullpen, you're more likely to get short-term benefits out of them. Maybe that's too short-sighted, but... but uh, just based on the structure of the organization as a whole, that seems like something that should inform their decisions. I don't even want to call it short-sighted, though, because like, I, I agree with you. But also, like, I don't really see huge upside as starters for either player That's yeah. at this point either. It's not like we're taking 
someone who might be like who has actual real potential as a real starter and they're like nah just put him in the bullpen because we need relievers like mm-hmm. there's legitimate reasons that anyone would put these guys in the bullpen not just the Mets I, I think there's an argument at this point like like I said with how without bullpens are used and how well maybe not the Mets but other teams are smart <laughs> about how the way uh, how they use their relievers um, and especially now with the changes to the three batter minimum where I think having like a setup quality reliever who can get both righties and lefties out, which I think both Killamy and Sapucky would profile as in the bullpen. Um, maybe Sapucky has more loogie risk, but I think his I think if he's his stuff is majorly caliber, it should be getting people on both sides out. I, I think there's a real argument that that kind of piece is just straight up more valuable than uh, a hit or miss fourth starter type at this point. Yeah, I yeah. I can agree with that. And depending how you define fourth starter, of course, because everyone's going to like have a different definition of that. And Killamay being in the bullpen will have um, more back page potential when you mm-hmm. can have the New York Post saying you're killing me, Killamay. <laughs> <laughs> so on that note, we will take a break and we'll be right back after this. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to From Complex to Queens. I am Steve Saipa, and I'm joined by Lucas Vlahos, Ken Lavin, and Thomas Henderson. And we're talking prospects, as we always do. Uh, we just went over Franklin Kilome, <clears throat> number nine, and Thomas Zipucky, number seven. So now we're going to speak about David Peterson, uh, left-handed starting pitcher. Drafted in the 2017 draft out of the University of Oregon. Um, never really. He's a guy that I, I guess, you know, he, he how do I put it? <laughs> His peaks are never that high, but the values are never that low either. You know, um, throughout the course of his college career, he had a really good season in his junior year um he posted highs in pretty much every stat um he had a 251 era in 100 innings struck out 140 so the mets picked him with their 20th round pick and he signed to a slot value deal which was 2 million 2.9 million dollars he you know as is the case a lot he didn't throw that much after being drafted and he really made his debut uh, in 2018 the next year his uh, as is a recurring theme here i think his season was delayed a little bit early on because of an injury but you know when he finally got on the field he was pretty good um you know which is what you want an advanced college pitcher to be in columbia and then he was promoted to st lucie in the middle of the year and he struggled a little bit at first um they said that it was a dead arm period but he did end the the year strong so we can give it to him i guess uh, was promoted to Binghamton, 
this past season, and he had a, a comparable season. Um, he posted a 419 ERA in 116 innings, striking out 122. And, uh, you know, it's not an exciting profile necessarily, but it's a profile that's going to get out. Um, he has his fastball, you know, left-handed fastball, sits 89 to 92. It can get a little bit higher when he's really trying, you know, could hit 93, 94. And it has a lot of sync and a little bit of arm side run, too. And then he supplements that with a pretty good slider <clears throat> and a decent changeup. It's kind of like a fringe average to average. Uh, but, you know, he, he is a guy. There have been a lot of, I think, the comparison I used when he was drafted and a lot of people did, too, was... Uh, Mark Burley comparisons to him and you know maybe he's not going to get as many ground balls as Burley did throughout the course of his career but he definitely has better stuff than Burley did better strikeout stuff so you know I guess I'd rather have I've definitely I should say have more strikeouts than kind of ground balls because that's guaranteed outs as opposed to mostly guaranteed outs but with the Mets you know you can never be certain of anything but just the fact, uh, I don't know, it's, he's just not a very exciting pitcher, and I think that kind of dampens, I guess, our expectations and and everything about Peterson. Because yeah. he didn't have a bad season, necessarily, you know, but it wasn't great either, so it just kind of was there. Uh, I might make the argument that Peterson is already something of a disappointment just because of how long it's taken him to get to the big leagues based on the profile uh, uh, when drafted. I think yeah, I mean, that, though, is they've moved him very slowly. I mean, they've moved him slowly because he's been hurt and or bad. I mean, they left of it. for half of his first full season in, in the Sally. <laughs> yeah, that was... Like, if you started the clock earlier, there's a good chance he, he could be up, like fairly early this season you know like he's gonna start the year in triple a probably he should as as is and you could have done that last year if you know you didn't decide to leave him in the sally for like most of the season for little to no reason the the bigger issue to me still seems that he's throwing less than five innings per start at double a i mean the stuff also isn't great (laughs) right right like it's not just a matter of like, like we know the Mets are too conservative with a lot of their promotions. That that's one thing, but he has had knee issues. He's had shoulder issues. He was generally not great at Advanced A in 2018. He's still not throwing a ton of innings at Double A in 2019. So it, it's not as if he's forcing their hand and they're being uh, aggressively uh, stubborn by holding him back like they have with some other guys, there's, I think, legitimate arguments for, for keeping him where he's been. And the fact that you drafted this polished college pitcher without a ton of upside who's supposed to make the majors quick and he hasn't forced their hand yet is, is I think, a disappointment already. Definitely not the trajectory that you would want it to be on. Yeah, right. <clears throat> yeah. I don't know. He just reminds me of, like, the boring fourth or fifth starter that your team signs and you're like, oh, okay. Like, like that's like, he's going to have a 10 year career of being that 
and everyone's mm. going to be like, no one's going to be excited when your team gives David Peterson the one-year deal for like eight million dollars or whatever. But he'll eat some innings and then you'll move on to the next one. You mean you weren't excited when the Mets were linked to Joel Pinheiro back in the day? Exactly. It's stuff like that. Like it's dudes <laughs> I like. Totally that. forgot about Joel Pinheiro. Dave Duncan you- working his magic. I'm gonna I'm gonna propose like an over under of will David Peterson have a better career than this person? Okay. Okay. First one, Pelfrey. Yes. Yeah. Push. I think so too. Push. <laughs> uh, Dylan G. <laughs> Was Dylan G actually better than Pelfrey? I feel um, like he's no, not. No, just answer. Like <laughs> I'm, I'm just thinking of people off the the top of my head. <laughs> I'm gonna say yes. Well, I'm saying I want to go over, but now I'm thinking about it. I'm not sure that Pelfrey was any better than – he had that one year where he was good, and then he just never was good again. Okay, we'll go by career war. Okay. Dylan G5. Yikes, that's the worst that I realized. <laughs> oh, boy. I'll, I'll take the over on that, I think. Well, let me check Pelfrey first. Fangraphs is being especially slow. So I think Peterson is always going to have the advantage in just the fact that he's a left-hander, and even though he doesn't have any kind of dramatic splits, he will always have that on his side. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Uh, Pelfrey is four, just under 14, so yeah, Pelfrey is better. I'll, I'll say better uh, over on G and push on Pelfrey. Okay, I want to see if this one will be as funny as I think it will be. Okay, yes, it will. Oliver Perez. Oh. <laughs> no, he, will, he no. will not have a career like Perez. So Mike Pelfrey Perez is, is the reliever. best of those three pitchers, but yeah, okay. Perez See, is funny. a good reliever, though. It's huh. funny you say that, though, because Perez is... <sighs> I might Just by career that. war. By career so war, yeah. Or undervalues the value he's had in his you know, reliever career. Since it's yeah, because, many. like, yeah, it's hard to, like... So it, it is up for interpretation. It's just like right at almost exactly what Pelfrey provided as a starter. And looking at this, I'm I'm uh, I'm a little too young to remember exactly what happened in 20, 2006. What the hell were they trading for in 2006? Good Lord, he was awful. Why? He had in a really – he was a top prospect, and he had a very good season in 2002. Yeah, 2004. And obviously he grew, regressed as – Alfred Perez is want to do. Negative point eight in two thousand five. He had a seven a six and a half ERA and the Mets traded for him in two thousand six. Oh my god. I remember but, like it being oh, he was a really good prospect. That's why we did it. And it's like, okay. Because I was but, like ten. But is he good? You you can say though that it did work out because he was pretty I don't want to say he was clutched down the stretch in 2016, I mean, in 2006, but he did start one or two games and was, like, solid. Obviously, in the postseason, he performed way higher than you would expect. 2007, he was legitimately good. Mm -hmm. And I think that is when then they signed him to that three-year deal, and that was was what is problematic. If not for Andy Chavez, we might have a very have had a very different impression of uh, of Oliver Perez. I mean, um, my impression of him isn't positive. No, I mean, I mean, <laughs> going, I mean, going into 2008, we might have had yeah. a very different impression of, of Oliver Perez. Yeah. Anyway, though, I'll, I'll 
a push on Perez too, because the meaningful difference, but there isn't a meaningful difference between him and Pelfrey. I would say that I don't think Peterson could go into the bullpen and have a good career. I agree. Where Oliver Perez, like, I would sign him now yep. as, a, as a reliever. So, yep. like, I think that, like, I don't want to say looking past the numbers because, like, I'm not really, but he was a legitimate good reliever for a while. Yeah, and, and if you accounted for leverage, all of those numbers would be higher. Exactly. So, like, I don't think I, like, I think he has a little bit of a higher, and he's also, like, still pitching at 37. And like 38. Yeah, 38. That's true. I mean, is he on a team now? Is he still on? Is he still? On yeah, no, his his option vested. Oh, OK, so like he's going to be an important part of that bullpen. And maybe if they're out of it, traded to a contender at the deadline, you know, so like he's going to he's probably going to be solid unless he just falls apart because he's older, mm. which is possible. Yeah, I think I go Peterson better than Pelfrey and G, and maybe a push to slightly, probably not as good a reliever as Oliver Perez, if that ends up being part of how he ends up at 10 years of service time down the line. Yeah. Because lefties pitch forever, so Mm -hmm. I think that's fair. All right, well, now moving on from a, again, no offense to David, no no offense to Peterson, but he's kind of... No, no, I'm saying we're going to move on from a boring <laughs> prospect to probably one of the most exciting in the system, Francisco Alvarez. He was signed oh, out of... Here yeah. we go. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we've heard enough about him, so let's just move on. <laughs> um, Mets signed him. Uh, he was basically one of the top guys available in the 2018 to 2019 international rookie class. And the Mets signed him for $2.7 million, which was and still is the uh, highest bonus that they've given to a rookie. It broke Ryan Mauricio's record of $2.1 million. And he didn't play that year. And he made his professional debut this past season with the GCL Mets. And he basically forced a promotion at Kingsport after hitting an insane... Uh, insanely well in just a couple of games and in 35 games at Kingsport he was the youngest player in the league and he hit a very good 282 377 433 and obviously you know numbers in Kingsport you know and and the lower levels of the minors it's hard to kind of get a very accurate gauge on that because there's a lot of extraneous stuff going on so numbers are not the best measure but when you look at just the total package, um, this is a lot to like. He has a very advanced approach at the plate for a 17-year-old. Um, swing is pretty good. Um, it's above average. The bat speed is above average. So, you know, he, he generates power um, from that. He's probably never going to be a slugger, per se, Um because he's already kind of a big guy. I don't think he's going to be adding on much more like muscle and growing much bigger. But, you know, it's a good swing. They're going to a lot of bat speed. So you make some improvements there. You, you I, know, I think he's going to hit for some power. Oh, you know, I'm, I'm not saying he's going to be like a Josh Tolley-esque, you know, no <laughs> slugging kind of player. But definitely I think the hit tool is going to be um, the more advanced tool than the power. Um and then defensively, he is a very good defender. Um, coming into the season, I know there were some reports, I guess it was from Baseball America, since they really have the best 
international coverage anywhere. Um, ben Badler does a great job. <clears throat> and I think the reports that his defense is kind of so, so iffy. But when I saw him, he was like, you know, I'm not, I'm not the best gauge of these things either. But he was a very good defender. He was very mobile. Um, his arm was above average. He, he popped up real quick, threw the ball, and it was accurate. Um, and then reports that we've gotten since that, you know, he's just a really good clubhouse presence. You know, I could kind of see that the way that even though he was literally younger than all but one of the pitchers that he caught, that one guy being Junior Santos, you know, he, he took leadership and, and responsibility and was, was a catcher, you know? And also he's just a, a tough son of a bitch. <laughs> back-to-back <laughs> games that I saw, he took a foul ball, he took, you know, a, a um, was hit, you know, just no games off, which is surprising. You would think that, you know, they'd want to keep, you know, anything that they'd want to keep one of their top prospects in bubble wrap, but I imagine that, you know, the player has some say-so, and he wanted to get back out there on both instances, and he did, and it didn't really affect him much and he is uh well uh, let's just let ken take it away yeah no um he, he's just like like big like thick you know like all of it is he's, he's you know I, I always talk about his forearms because i think that's where a lot of the bat speed is coming from but he just like this is what they look like <laughs> you know like exciting. excellent visualization <laughs> yeah i don't know um i also like the swing it's super simple you know deadly i think somebody at baseball prospectus described it and i I think that's very a very good way to put it it's just like deadly aggressive Um, interestingly he he doesn't uh leg kick he's a he's a toe toe tap yeah Mm -hmm. which you don't really see too much and you figure if they do someday say, hey, kid, you know, if, if you stomp and lift, you could add a bit more power, you know, that might happen. And as it is, he was he's already, like we said, has some pretty good power thanks to the bat speed. Who was the last guy to toe tap, really, at the major league level? BJ Upton? David Wright did sometimes. A lot of guys do. Albert Pujols? Does he still do that? Does he still toe tap? It's definitely less common than it was. Sorry, continue. Uh, I'm well, it sure you takes a get... lot more a lot more timing and everything. Mm, it's much yeah. it's much harder to keep on the rails, which is why I'm I'm kind of impressed that he's 17 and uses a toe tap and it hasn't really caused any issues yet. Nope. He's very fun, and he, like to have a prospect who could hit like that and also catch. It's like and catch reasonably well. Yeah, like catchers are so hard to find that. It just pops my like whenever I see a catcher who could do anything on the offensive side of the game, I'm like, oh yes, please. Inject definitely, that directly into my veins. <laughs> definitely the best catching prospect that this is that we've had since Travis Darno. And, and that I'm worked out well. Th- yeah, I mean, well, catchers to, are always going to be weird. <laughs> trying to think about guys that were completely developed in the system because Darno he was mostly developed in Toronto. Kevin Pulecki. Yeah, I was gonna say yeah. Ploiecki. Obviously, much better than Ploiecki. Guys, Tom, Thomas Nito, come on, like, 
I was I'm trying to think of good players here. <laughs> <laughs> like Todd Hundley, but he was not a good defensive catcher. Yeah. Josh Tolley, how was his defense? I mean, it, it had to have been good for him to catch the knuckleball. Yeah, he caught yeah. Time. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess I would say that he is definitely, you know, um, Alvarez is, is the best, highest upside catcher since Darno or Tolley, some combination thereof. Because you had defensive specialists like Juan Sentineau, but the bat was not, you know. Uh, excuse, excuse me, that's first man to throw out uh, Billy Hamilton on the bases, Juan Centeno. <laughs> that is very true. He will be a Jeopardy question someday. Although Billy Hamilton's career never really panned out, so yeah. maybe not. Yeah. So where do you guys think he's going to end up on prospect lists after this season? Am I allowed to cheat? After, after this, this season? Or after like, this oh, upcoming season. Uh, I think he has a chance to be number one in the Mets system. After this in season. the Mets system? Let's, let's go baseball, system. though. Oh, no. That's not saying much. <laughs> yeah, but that's easier for me to say definitively. <laughs> oh, no, of course. Yeah. No, and I, I think I would agree with you there. <laughs> if, he has a real a, if he has a season like he had this year, assuming it's going to be in Columbia, yeah. I think that he could be... In the 20s nationally? That's probably what I would say, too. Yep. I think there's a chance for higher, but uh, there's also a pretty good chance for lower, just given the unique risk factors of the position. So 20s. He could could break his foot. Or, you know, he could just stagnate. Like Jorge Alfaro took forever to, you know. Ali Sanchez hit that one season. Did he, though? Yeah, so I'm I'm pretty confident. Francisco Alvarez is better. Oh than sure, no, 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 sure. I'm just saying, like sometimes. <laughs> but yeah, mirages happen, you know. So BP has Alvarez second in the Met system right now, behind Mauricio. Mauricio was 45th on the midseason list. I want, like, there's guys you get draft picks in above, but then Alvarez's stock has probably improved. So right now, let's just say he's in the 40 to 60 range. Right, so another good season, a level up. I could uh, in the twenties makes sense, yeah. I could see that for sure. I mean, he also just might not hit because catches, or he might catch a a foul tip off his uh, hand and just be out for the whole season. Or he might have just been particularly well developed for the Appy League, you know. It's true. That's even a thing here. Yeah. I mean, Mark Vientos was. I was going to make an excellent segue to Mark Vientos. <laughs> Steve, Ooh. just do it anyway. <laughs> All right. Well, sometimes guys hit very well in the Appalachian League and then don't in uh, the South Atlantic League, as evidenced by our next player, Mark Vientos. Who's that, Steve? <laughs> he was a player who was drafted by the Mets in 2017 out of American Heritage High School. And a lot of people thought that he could have been a first-round guy, but he kind of had an okay season because of an injury in his senior year. And then he had a commitment to the University of Miami, so a lot of guys, a lot of teams passed over him. But um, Mets picked him second round. Two sides agreed to a $1.5 million signing bonus pretty quickly, and that was about $500,000 over slot value, which was... Uh, almost 1.1 million. Mets assigned Vientos to the GCL. He held his own as one of the youngest players in the league. Uh, 
he was promoted to Kingsport in 2018. And once again, is one of the youngest players in the league. He more than held his own. He excelled. Um, he hit 287, 389, 489 in 60 games. And his 11 home runs were most on Kingsport by a large margin and was tied uh, for fourth in the Abbey, along with such luminaries as Wander Franco and Nolan Gorman. So good comps. And the Mets were maybe not aggressive because, you know, I, I don't really think that he had much to prove in Brooklyn. But they sent him to Columbia this past season. And it was a bit of a disappointment, given the expectations that were placed on him. He hit 255, 300, 411 in 111 games. Um, what to say about Vientos? See, I am the high guy on Vientos. So I don't want to say like, oh, you know, just ignore his struggles because that would not be right. But at the same time, I think you need to look at it in context that he still was about a league average hitter as one of the youngest guys in the league. And I was not. How do I put this? I was when I when I went down to Columbia and I saw him, I was I was excited because I was high on him last year. And he was not good when I saw him during that homestand. Ironically, it was like the worst stretch of his uh, season last year. And I'm not going to say that I was overly critical because the stuff that I did see, I did see. You know, he he anything down and away, he was just kind of weakly whiff swinging at. Um, he just wasn't able to pick up on breaking balls, you know. So... It's not to say that that stuff didn't happen, but I don't know. I feel like maybe I was just kind of pissed off that he was doing so bad and just every single little bad thing that he did, I was just seeing because it was just not a good stretch of baseball for him. Would you say that you went down to South Carolina and all you got were these less than stellar Mark Fientos looks? damn it, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I got to see Ron and Mauricio. Okay. So that. okay. <laughs> and for whatever good it was, I got to see Simeon Woods Richardson. But yeah, and Shervian Newton. But but yeah, I mean, I was, you know, it it was very disappointing, um, how Vientos performed. But you know, the good things that I did see in Kingsport when I saw him the year before are still there. When he does make contact and it's something that's like in his wheelhouse, he really smashes the ball. Um, you know, and a lot of people will harp on his defensive um, lack of defensive prowess. And I think it, it's, I don't know how to really put it. It's, it's not that he's not a good defender. It's just that mm, he's not a good defender, but he's not a bad defender either. And I feel like a lot of people are just like, oh, he's a terrible defender, which is not the case. Um, he's not like unathletic because he, he is pretty jacked. He just doesn't have like explosive movement. So, you know, he doesn't have like that really quick first step and he doesn't have, like, you know, insane range or anything like that. But everything else, you know, the arm is really good. He has good instincts, soft hands, all that kind of stuff. 
So I don't, you know, a lot of a lot of places will talk about how, you know, it's inevitable that he's going to be moved from third base. And really the only place that he's going to have a home is first. And that is going to diminish a lot of his value. But, uh, you know, I don't see having to be moved from third as a certainty. Is he Nolan Arenado? No, he's definitely not. But he's not J.D. Davis either. You know, it's closer to <laughs> closer on that scale to Davis. But, you know, nothing that I saw was a liability. Would you be would you be worried about him? Because from, from like I, not that we should ever really trust uh, listed weights, but six four one eighty five, there's still a lot of room for extra weight there. I think like I'd have some worry that he just if he's not great now, what's he gonna look like when he has thirty forty extra pounds, which seems totally within reason given given the frame. I mean, it depends on the you know a if he does put on that much weight and b if it's you know good mass or not. You know, if it's muscular, yeah. like, you know, musculature mass, then the the problems that he has are acerbated. But, you know, there's more power potential. Right. Like the, the power, the power, which is already pretty, you know, the potential, which is already pretty high, will then, you know, more of it will be realized. And, you know, OK, um, you're more willing to overlook the defensive miscues when the guy is slugging 53 homers and setting rookie records. It's true. You know, yeah. not that Alonso was really that bad, but okay. I don't know. And also the fact that Beatty, Brett Beatty, is almost literally a carbon copy of Vientos, <laughs> positive and negative. The flaws and and positives, they both share almost the same exact things. And kind of Vientos gets, you know overlooked when it's like kind of silly when they really should be you know a and b because they are almost the same exact player shiny new toy syndrome oh yeah no definitely Vientos is a weird one i never really know how to feel about him at any given point yeah i'm definitely less like less down on him than newton after last year but me too yeah, it's like we we talked early in the year about how we were hoping he would have a, a season like Nolan Gorman or you know Jared he did not Cole. have a season like no, <laughs> Nolan Gorman. He wasn't disappointing at all, or wasn't particularly disappointing, um, except for people who drove across the country to see him. Mm. <laughs> Luckily, I did not drive. Smart man. But um, you know, he held his own. Even if it was slightly younger. disappointing. Yeah, exactly. Well, being young and, I don't know, at some point he's really going to have to hit for me to get excited, you know? But uh, it's still possible. Yeah, I'm worried about him picking up spin still. Mm-hmm. He still doesn't do it. But, like, because it's, it's just going to get better. Like, he's not going to, like, as he's getting through the, obviously, that's a Captain Obvious statement, but, like, as he's getting in, in at better levels in the minors, he's going to be facing even better pitches. So if he's not picking it up now, he has to start soon. But. Yeah, and the thing is for me, like that's a you know that's a maybe not a teachable skill, but that's a learnable thing. Yeah. And really, I feel like that is the thing that's holding him back from taking that next step forward. And it's something that can be worked on and addressed. And 
Yeah, I mean, he could come in to camp next year, you know, 40 pounds overweight and he's terrible and whatever, but he could also come into camp and he spent the offseason working on that and he has taken the next step. So not that there's a lot of variance, but, you know, in, in what his trajectory, what his career path is going to be next season, but it could be good or, you know, it could be very good or it could just kind of be, eh more of this yeah i don't want to say it's a make or break season because he's like 20 but i think it could kind of change how we view him like specifically more than any other we only we only dropped him what i forget what we ranked him last year third fourth. i think three i think all right so we, we we when you account for the new talent in the system we only dropped him one spot basically i think another season like this, we'll see a much bigger drop. Yeah, because at yeah, some point, it's just like, if you're not hitting it, you're not hitting it. Like, you give him a... It, it, it's not to, a total mulligan on this season, but it a semi-mulligan due to age and whatever else. And, of course, it doesn't help him that, you know, uh, Segra Park is skews towards, you know, pitching. Yeah. And then, of, of course... Um, Cloverfield, I think it is going to be called now, formerly uh, First Data Field, where he is going to be going, does also skews towards pitchers and dampens offense. So good luck with that, Mr. Vientos. Yeah, that's not. I wonder I wonder how that affects uh, these guys' psyche when they're down there, uh, yeah. honestly. Like from an evaluation standpoint, you can always – uh, obviously go watch them play or or just league normalize the stats but when you're actually playing and and getting all of a ball and it's dying on the warning track every time i wonder how that that get, i bet that gets to you at some point definitely would get to me uh definitely be frustrating but at the same time like you know outside of the games these guys are developing players and they are told you know you have to work on certain things and whatever else so that's also in the back of your mind, too, I guess. Like, yeah, I'm not hitting homers, but I am hitting them to the opposite field, and that's what Coach wanted me to do. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, it's an out, but I'm still doing what he wants me to do. So there's some... De- development over results. Right. I mean, I guess also building that mental toughness is an extremely important skill because... Baseball's a game of failure. Yeah. yeah. It's a long season. And also, like, his pro- his possible future is playing in City Field, which is not exactly a hitter's ballpark either. <laughs> it's, it's also true. a place of failure. Yeah. That's the new slogan for City Field, a place, a of, place failure. of failure. <laughs> Call it the Mets marketing department right now. I think they probably laid off at the two guys in the marketing department. Also, so. <laughs> two guys? You're being very generous. Well, well, they doubled the uh, the department last year, so they couldn't afford to keep both. Mm. <laughs> All right. Well, does anyone have any last words for the week? Uh, got nothing. Alrighty. Obviously, uh, R.A.P. Kobe definitely sucks. Mm. Yep. Small hel- helicopters and small planes. Not a good time. No.
All right, if anyone has any questions or comments or whatever, you can go ahead and send us an email at our email address from complex to queens at gmail.com. And you can follow us on Twitter and shoot us questions there. I am at Steve Seiper. Lucas is at Elvlahos343. Ken is at Ken1191. And Thomas is at SadMetSeason, S-Z-N. Subscribe to Amazing Avenues Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts from, and rate and review them. And obviously, thank you for listening. And we'll be back next week to finish up the 2020 Top Prospect list. And until then, love the Mets. Love the Mets. Yeah.